Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is September 11th, 2019, 18 years after the most horrific event in world history. An obvious in U.S. history. A single event that perpetuated, justified, and verified that terror is the strongest and the most effective weapon one can use against people. And with terror and instilling fear and terror and uncertainty into people, you'd be surprised just how much of their innate right to freedom they will forfeit in hope that they will one day feel safe again. So on today's show, I'd like to talk about 9-11, but I don't want to talk about things that will polarize people. It'll be my view on as a New Yorker and what I saw, but also discuss the things that people don't discuss events that happened in our intelligence community. And these are not conspiracy theories. We're saying hires, fires, changes right before nine 11. And yesterday I kind of introduced a notion that a lot of people don't seem to understand. And it's how quickly this case was closed and how quickly we moved on to begin the the supposed war in Afghanistan that had started years before 9-11. So to remind us all of what happened that day, I want to play a clip from CNN, believe it or not, where they try to give you a timeline and have you listen to what they want you to remember as the timeline. 
for all of us that are listening right now and for myself, this day is to remember that this was a pivotal moment in our history in which we as a collective were terrorized and it was the day that we gave up our rights to privacy, our rights to demand transparency, all in the name of safety. I also, before I play this clip, want to say that I am going to demonstrate how shifting of blame has obfuscated the actual factual timelines of events and what is going on. You know, tons of people have their own theories, you know, of what's going on. But I can tell you this. On that day, we saw Mayor Giuliani at the time do the best he could with his hands tied behind his back. On that day, we saw that as now in 2019, we are debating whether science is factual. We were told and we are still being told that jet fuel can actually melt steel. We are also told that the Saudis had involvement. We are also being told that and convinced and they even made diagrams and videos and wrote full reports to Congress. And how a terrorist's passport busted out through the exploding plane within the building and flew a couple of blocks down to be found intact by a passerby in a business suit and handed over to an official. And that's how they knew who was on there. So with that in mind, let's take a listen. We've got a very dramatic audio timeline of the morning of September 11th. Some of these audio tapes became declassified just last year. Combined with what was previously released, these tapes offer perhaps the most dramatic timeline of the moments the hijackings were taking place. We hear voices of people on the front lines, including a flight attendant on board a hijacked plane. We're going to start with her. Betty Ong, she was on board American Airlines Flight 11 at 8.19 a.m. Eastern Time. This is just about 27 minutes before that flight hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center. She called her colleagues on the ground. This is the first time that anyone outside those planes finds out what's going on. Let's listen to Betty Ong. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Just five minutes later, at 8.24 a.m. Eastern Time, just 22 minutes before impact on the North Tower, you hear the haunting voice of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Boston air traffic control picks up his voice in the cockpit as he's talking to the passengers. Listen to Mohammed Atta. Is that American 11 trying to call? We have some planes that stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're returning to the airport. And uh, who's trying to call me here? American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. 
Just incredible to hear the voice of the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta. Now, just over half an hour later, at 9.02 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, air traffic controllers trying to figure out what's going on with the second plane. This is United Airlines Flight 175. Follow the purple track here. It has already looped south of New York, heading north toward the south tower of the World Trade Center, and two air traffic controllers practically narrate the impact. Take a listen. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you, can you see God about 4,000 feet, about 5 east of the airport right now? Looks like he's... Yeah, I see him. You see God, look, is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick, too, yeah. Well, that's... Like he's 500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like, a, like one, one sweep. That's, that's another situation. Who, what kind of airplane is that? Can you guys tell? I don't know. I'll read it out in a minute. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the roof side. All building just came apart. Holy smokes. Take you forward to uh, just about a half hour later, 9.28 a.m. Eastern Time. You've got air traffic control trying to track United Airlines Flight 93. Cleveland Air Traffic Control is trying to get another flight, American Airlines Flight 1060, to help find Flight 93. But that Cleveland controller picks up some audio from inside Flight 93. If you listen carefully, you can hear people screaming. And listen very carefully, you'll hear someone say, seemingly saying, we're all going to die in here. Listen. That's American 1060. And of course, just minutes later, that plane hits the ground in southern Pennsylvania in the town of Shanksville. The Rutgers University Law Review has released some of this material to hear some of these haunting audio tapes and other unforgettable moments, including stories that you've not heard before. Tune into CNN's documentary, Footnotes of 9-11, with Drew Griffin, Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on CNN. So that's from 2015, where CNN had put those clips together for everyone to listen and hear newly released material. It's horrific to think that the government would manipulate or any nation's government would manipulate their people and kill innocent people to serve a purpose. But let's be honest in war that happens all the time. When missiles fly, when nerve gases are used, when bombs are dropped, lots of innocent people die. I mean, the a bomb in Japan killed a lot of little kids while they were playing with their dollies in their bedroom a lot of old people washing their feet outside on the patio after gardening. Uh, this is the reality. This is the ugly side of war. And what happened on 9-11 was an act of war. Okay? That is fact. Anyone saying it was just a horrible terror attack or like Ilhan Omar says some people did some things is just despicable. This was an act of war. And who did that? Many will say it was Osama bin Laden. And you know, I there's, there's not evidence to support or deny that. But yeah, okay. Others will tell you it was the Saudis. But if it was the Saudis, then how's Osama involved? Because Osama was denounced by the Saudis. So everyone keeps having all these theories. Lots of people loathe Rudy Giuliani saying he was in on it too. He was in on it because on the day of 9-11, you know, uh, Rudy Giuliani said, and I quote, we were able to move 150 dump trucks out of the city last night. 
which will give you a sense of the work that was done overnight. And that one statement of him talking about how they were getting things done was used to demonstrate what? That he was the bad guy? What? That he was at World Trade Center 7, trapped, and he said, oh, we heard that maybe the towers are falling, so we tried to leave, and then the building collapsed, and it was hit, and we finally got out. And then people saying, hey, you had said that the building had, you know the buildings were going to collapse. You knew about it. Why didn't you tell anyone while you were being attacked by another, you know, while you were in a building that was collapsing, you sat on that information for 15 minutes. Why didn't you tell us while you were trying to find an escape route with everyone else in emergency management, you know, and he's sitting there denying, well, I didn't really know. And to be honest with you, he might've, he might've not. That's what he said is recorded. But on the other hand, tell me about it. If you were in a building that was collapsing around you, your city was literally on fire. You were sitting there with your fire and police commissioner trying to figure out what you're going to do because you're in the you're an island because that's what Manhattan is, an island. And you're waiting to see what aid you can get because right now there is a threat assessment. They've locked out no travel through the tunnels, no travel through bridges. We have now been isolated. My island is isolated. All these people are relying on the decisions we make. And then they're hearing, hey, the towers might collapse. And then boom, they're in a building that has just undergone some explosion or something. And they're trying to get out. It was sketchy. It was weird. And it was just confusing. Okay, very confusing. And unless you were there with Rudy Giuliani, his police commissioner, his fire chiefs, everything, you wouldn't know what happened. Unless you were in the building or in one of those planes, you really, really don't know what happened. You just know a version of it, the version that they tell you. You know, kind of like the story of the magic passports found in 9-11. You know, where they gave you an explanation of how it floated out of, I mean, that's how far they, oh yeah, you know, it's totally plausible because he was on the plane and then when it exploded with the sheer force and the aerodynamics of, I kid you not, because it was found, you know, by a mysterious man who handed over the passport. (laughs) So we'll never know, but here's what we do know. We do know that on 9-11, all these people lost their lives. We do know that there were planes possibly hijacked, but these planes cut through steel like butter. And not only that, jet fuel suddenly was able to melt steel. Consecutive explosions, you know, happened. Never ever in a steel building has it collapsed because of a fire. You know, your foundations have to have an issue. So was it collapsed? Mm. No, Nobody knows. Because there's so many things even in 2019 that we don't know. And, you know, we have access to, to technology now that was way more advanced for the time. You know, from data collection, uh, biometrics, uh, tools to analyze things, right? DNA equipment, et cetera, et cetera, right? Cell phone technology, cameras, editing software. Totally different now than it was then, right? So 9-11 is always going to be a question mark 
But the only thing we do know is that people died. The mayor of New York did the best he could with what he was told because for some reason, people think that Mayor Giuliani didn't do a good job. Look at butt plug Pete, Mayor Pete. Look at his city. Can we all just sit for a moment and just appreciate the task at hand for Mayor Giuliani just at that time? Just pretend you're the mayor. You have a city where you have 70, 80% more people per square foot than any other city, well, except for Hong Kong maybe, you know, in the world. You are the capital of the world. The towers just hit, house most of the big insurance companies, FBI offices, security offices, emergency management offices, you name it, it's housed there. Iron Mountain, hmm. digital Iron Mountain was actually located there, something we didn't know about, but it was housed within the FBI offices at the World Trade Center. So you've got all this going on and you've got some explosion that happened that people are saying is a plane, but you didn't really find parts of a plane, right? We don't even have the black boxes. You got another tower that gets hit a few minutes later and you're thinking a helicopter flying near New York City would be shot down on any day, but that day none of them were shot. You're the mayor, right? This is what you're seeing. You suddenly get together with your emergency management team in another building and you're sitting there thinking the emergency management center that we had in the World Trade Center is now not something we can access. What do we do? Let's get a plan together. Do we have the National Guard? Yeah, they can't come because the bridges are closed. Okay, what do we got? We just got, we're recalling everyone. Everyone that's off duty is on duty now. Let's get this done. What are we going to do? We need to evacuate people. Well, what if, you know, something happens? Did we turn off the gas? Did we turn off the water going to that building? Uh, What about the trains underground? Can we evacuate the subways? Uh, Did we evacuate surrounding buildings? Can we shut them down? Can we get body counts? Can we move people? This is all what Mayor Rudy Giuliani had to do as far as he had control to do until other people stepped in so all of this is happening and suddenly they descend who descends the federal government he has no more jurisdiction at that point he is taking orders this is a matter of national security hours after the explosion they find a passport more explosions a plane hit the pentagon but nobody saw a plane but it was a plane for sure you're the mayor and you're like uh, no one's telling me what's going on these people are just doing and telling but i don't know what's going on i gotta do what's best for my people what do i do for my people we need to investigate this let's get some investigations going you know day after you've got a city covered with soot and rubble the heart of the city that makes most of the money and pays most of the taxes so that you can keep the lights on so that you can keep your food stamp programs going, so you can help those that are elderly, disabled, right? That whole heart that pumps all that cash into your city's pockets so that you can do all these great things you want to do, so you can pay your police officers, your firemen, your community clinics, your teachers, all just bleeding, no money coming in. And you have the feds all over you, FEMA, FBI, National Security Specialists, the National Security Division basically from the DOJ and the intelligence community, ATF, all of these guys have taken over. 
your city. The military taking over your city. Don't worry about it, Mayor. We got this. You worry about your people. How do I pacify my people? Think about it. You're the mayor. All of this just happened. And the day after, how do you make them forget seeing people jumping out of a building? How do you make them forget that as somebody did what they usually do, which is go to their coffee shop and ride up the elevator to go to work and clock in? Or the coffee guy that was up at the top? Or, uh, you know, the reception guy? All of them just went there normally, kissed their kids in the morning, went to work. And how do you fix that for every single New Yorker? And not only New Yorker, for every citizen in the United States of America. Because if they can hit New York, you better make sure that they can hit Idaho Falls. They could hit, you know, Salt Lake City. They can hit, you know, somewhere, you know, Cleveland, you know, wherever. New York City, with the highest security back in 2001 for airspace, and those of you that, that have traveled during that period of time, you know that the planes flying into JFK can't even go into the airspace of Manhattan. Remember when that helicopter just uh, months ago where it was like shifting and moving and going crazy? You know how they have to get authorization even for helos? Imagine for like aircraft just coming in. Aircraft that they were, that were traveling, according to the videos, at such a speed they would have broken apart from the air that cut through your buildings like butter, and you have to accept that. You're the mayor. you got to accept all of that and say, how do I fix this? And the only way you can fix it is by trying to bring back some normancy, right? Make it normal again. He's been shunned upon because he opened up Wall Street six days later. How is he going to keep the lights on if it's off? The New York Stock Exchange is important not just for... New York's economy, right? But for the world, we set the tone on how things are trading. We set the tone on debt, on company, you know, advancements, retirement plans. We set that tone. So he brings back some normancy. But he himself... His police, his fire department in his house. So you're the mayor and in your house, in your backyard, this happens. And in comes the federal government says, don't worry, we'll investigate it. Stay out of it. And you're proud because you want to make it normal again for your people. You want them to know that, hey, this happened. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to clean it up. We can pick up. We're resilient. Let's do this. You're, you're, you're giving that sense to your people. The federal government is hauling rubbish like nobody's business. Like he said, you know, in one day when he said we had 120 dump trucks out, take stuff out. A New York resident had said at the time, wow, it's crazy out there. These trucks just keep coming. It doesn't stop. They're just coming and coming and coming and coming and taking all the rubbish, because that was evidence, right? Because let's remember, this was the biggest crime scene ever in global history. The most public and the biggest crime scene ever. Crime scene under the jurisdiction of the FBI. The biggest crime scene. We had the most life lost 
the most property damage and insurance claim lost, right? In U.S. fire history, fire history. This crime scene should have been isolated, sanitized, documented, and done so thoroughly, correct? Do you agree? Yes, it was 2001. We didn't have the tech we have today, but would they preserve every single thing that was there to determine what was going on? I mean, considering the crime scene that was so vast and so huge, you would at least believe that a year would go by at least by having tons of people working on it to sort through all that evidence, right? You would believe that these this crime scene, which was so massive, would be carefully orchestrated by the federal government. These dump trucks, would they would be placing every single stick, stone, pen, paper clip, shoe, hat, ribbon from someone's hair, carefully in there, so that way they can sort through the evidence and figure out what's going on. The investigation the feds completed on Tower 7, that documentation, that, that evidence cataloged correctly one by one so we can figure one hair you find, you place, you put. So that way you can find what happened. You would test for every single type of residue. Jet fuel, explosives, thermite, because thermite does melt steel. You would be very careful, right? That's how you do it. You ensure that you preserve that crime scene. But guess what? It wasn't done. Question is why? We'll talk about that right after this short break. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today, being 9-11, I thought that we talk about a few things, people who were key players and how things were taken care of, how things were being executed, uh, how this investigation and this preservation of evidence never happened. Now, to put this all in context so you guys understand where I'm going with it, when we want to point fingers, we point fingers to the people that had the power to do something. We point fingers to the people that led things, uh, you know, led the investigations into this, that were responsible for the cataloging of evidence, for subpoenaing witnesses, for taking testimony, for analyzing every single hair, paper clip, shoe, finger, whatever it is they collected with those dump trucks. And there was one person that was responsible. And that person used over 40 million U.S. dollars, issued tens of thousands of subpoenas, questioned countless individuals, destroyed evidence, lied, and kept the presidency now, the Trump presidency hostage for over two years and after such a thorough investigation into one simple matter without evidence like pieces of wall or maybe an airplane if there was one black boxes paper clips explosive residue fire analysis didn't have any of that It was all hearsay, right? It was all fake dossiers and the word of agents. Came up with zero Russia collusion, right? Two years. Very thorough, wasn't it? Super thorough. Then why is it that that same person that was responsible for the 9-11 investigation used very little money and closed the investigation on 9-11 within three weeks? That same person, Robert Mueller, 
responsible for the no collusion hoax investigation, was responsible in determining what happened during 9-11. The evidence on the dump trucks, never cataloged. The steel that was left over with residue that you could have run through some tests to see. Was it jet fuel? Was it what they say is thermite that melts steel? Not there either. Instead, that steel was resold to China. On September 4th, 2001, Robert Mueller was sworn in as FBI director under George Bush. That was one of George Bush's biggest mistakes. Because only a couple years later, they would show him who's really president. That clown, Robert Mueller, along with Comey, told and showed, you know, how Comey just suddenly happened to come on to the ranks and become acting attorney general at the time, right? Again, remember this, September 4th, 2001, right? Just a few days before 9-11, Mueller took over the FBI. few days before Mueller was sworn in, when it was pretty much set in stone that he was going to be FBI director, one of the most prominent, and I've had the pleasure of meeting, FBI analysts, investigators, counter-terror experts on the planet that has to... Anything Osama bin Laden, this guy knew it like the back of his hand. Great guy. He resigned. And when he resigned, he said, the intelligence community is not what it should be, how it should be, and what I thought I was fighting for. John O'Neill was the deputy director of the FBI that resigned just a couple of days before Mueller took over. He had everything on Osama bin Laden from Somalia that had happened over a decade before 9-11. He was the guy that investigated the bombings of the World Trade Center in 1993. And then again in Saudi Arabia, our base that was bombed in 1996, and I'll tell you that was horrific. No one in the public really knows what happened on that base. Was it bombed? Was it missiles? Was it wired? Was it just attacks? Let's just say attacks in 1996. There were bombings at the embassy, like we discussed yesterday. You know, they love attacking buildings of embassies when they're angry. U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in 1998 bombed. People died. O'Neill was there. He analyzed everything. He resigned just as Mueller was going to take office because he did not approve of where the agency was at. He did not like the direction that the agency, the FBI and the CIA had taken under the Clinton administration. And even before that, he was very open about it. So what he did was he had assessed threats. There are reports dated from January, 2001. Some still classified 
where we where where he had outlined where and what was most vulnerable to be hit to cause chaos. And in that report, he demonstrates that it could be terrorists, but it could also be our own people because I wouldn't put it past them. That's what he said. So when he resigned from the FBI as deputy director, the go-to guy for everything Osama bin Laden, who we were trying to get since the attacks in Somalia that killed so many American citizens that Ilhan Omar said, do you forget the Somalis that were killed by the Americans? Hmm. That guy had taken the role head of security for the Twin Towers because he felt that that was under threat He felt that that was the most vulnerable position. Everything in his body told him that if something were to happen, it was going to happen there first. Because the message, either that be from terrorists or terrorists aided by our own people so they can guide to what they need, and those were his words the night before, would be there. Obviously, he's dead now. So let's take a listen to what the director of the FBI responsible for cataloging. You know, he's such a thorough investigator. I mean, you saw the great work he did with this Russia collusion, didn't you? So thorough. So thorough that even though he knew there was no Russia collusion, darn, he was going to check and turn every single particle of sand to find out if that's correct or not. Took his time. But he didn't take his time with 9-11. Three weeks, open, shut, and dump the trucks. Forget the evidence. We don't need that. We're just going to say who it is. And let me go right over here. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I was looking for the person with the microphone. Okay, thank you. Uh, My name is Joe Sindridge. And what I wanted to ask you is, uh, with regards to uh, Vladimir Putin, is he, I understand he may be building a factory in Venezuela for uh, AK, to build AK-47s. Is this something that we don't know about or should know about? Uh, a, the question was, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, building a factory in Venezuela. Uh, we stay away from uh, uh, that. That's a little bit too precise for an answer. <laughs> you, know, you know what you learn in this business is the duck questions. <laughs> <laughs> And something like that, even if I didn't know the answer, I'm not certain in this, in this arena I could, I could discuss it. Okay, before I continue this, do you know who you're listening to? That's Robert Mueller, exactly 10 years ago, giving a speech in Stanford. Take a listen. Yes, sir, over here, the yellow. Okay. And I think... Uh, uh, hello. The question is, in my opinion, why have we not had another terrorist incident? And I attribute it to a number of factors. Um, the first factor is the, uh, the uh, going into Afghanistan in the immediate wake of September 11th and removing the sanctuary for al-Qaeda. And that was instrumental. Prior to that, uh, training, uh, recruiting training, uh, the uh, September 11th plot was hatched and organized and run from the sanctuary of Afghanistan. Okay, let me stop you there. So all reports indicate that the sanctuary for al-Qaeda was actually located in Yemen and Syria, not in Afghanistan. They were just training camps, radicalizing the Taliban, the political party of Afghanistan. 
So he's telling you we haven't had another terror attack because we went into Afghanistan. We just blew things up, civilians, kids, and even the bad guys. But, you know, it's war. So a few Americans, a few innocent children, no big deal. It's the greater good. This is, this is Mueller telling you. We removed the sanctuary, and that was the first line of order. See, that was his, that was his spiel. His spiel was, we finished the investigation real quick. We found this passport, which, by the way, they gave you a full analysis showing you diagrams back then of how the passport would float from the window and land. Mm-hmm. Take a listen. And removing that sanctuary was uh, the first uh, order of business, and appropriately so. Uh, secondly, the work that the, principally the CIA has done overseas in taking off the leadership of al-Qaeda. If you look at somebody like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was responsible for September 11th, he was spent a couple of years in, in uh, North Carolina at college. He understood the United States, computer literate, uh, charismatic, a tremendous organizer, uh, a, a confidant of bin Laden. You take somebody like that off the playing field and it is very, very difficult to replace them. And over a series of years, uh, the CIA has taken off the major leadership uh, of al-Qaeda and regardless of how you feel about the various aspects of it, it has had a, a substantial effect on uh, our ability to, uh, to prevent another terrorist attack. And so this was uploaded in October of 2009, okay? In July of 2009, Barack Hussein Obama released someone from Al-Qaeda who now leads Al-Qaeda in Yemen. That guy also went to university in the U.S. and spoke highly of, just like Mueller did, of Khalid. Such a leader, tremendous organizer, great with computers, knows everything about America, kind of like bin Laden because he was our asset, right? We had trained him. He had been educated through us and we had offered him opportunities for his nation, Saudi Arabia, to be able to advance their more westernized approach to things and grow as a nation and create these fake islands and sell their oil. In return, he would help us pacify the Horn of Africa, but he flipped on them and did what he did in Somalia, and that's where he went from asset to number one public enemy. And here's what his third area says. So the CIA plucked them. Did they, though? Because they plucked them, brought some here, and we released them into the ether, and what we're seeing now in the Middle East what we're seeing in Turkey, what we're seeing in Syria, what we're seeing in Yemen is all thanks to the great work they did. The third area I would say is somewhat what I've described is the vigilance within this country, the Joint Terrorism Task Forces, the ability to work with the rest of the intelligence community to pick up a snippet of information that would indicate that a... a uh, a terrorist plot is afoot and to disrupt it before it comes to, to fruition. Exactly. You don't do anything in our country unless we uh, know about it and right let it blue. happen. Right, right here in blue. Okay. Uh, my name is Christina Wise. I have a question regarding the special. Um, I know that the special agents in charge because they do a lot of this have a lot of autonomy, and I'm wondering what sort of benchmarks or incentives you've created for them in helping them transform. Um, 
Uh, the question was, uh, we have the 56 field offices and they're run by a special agent in charge. And you allude to the autonomy they have. They, have, they probably think they have more autonomy than <laughs> I, I can tell you they wish they had more autonomy than they have. Uh, but how do we uh, transfer? Really? It kind of seemed like Peter Strzok had a lot of autonomy and he had his fingers in every single pie. So now what I want to just play a small clip, and it might be really low on volume, so I'll reiterate, is... Robert Mueller giving evidence at the September 11th hearing, the evidence that he threw away in dump trucks, the evidence that he never cataloged except for that flying passport that suddenly, you know, through an exploding plane, right, as it crashed and fire just perpetuated, that one passport left this guy's pocket, flew out all the rubbish, and floated across the sky and landed on the floor where some random business guy handed it over to a detective. Just as we knew on September 11th that we had to find out who was responsible for this, we also knew our charge had changed forever. An honest and comprehensive examination of the pre-September 11 FBI reflects an agency that must evolve and that must change if our mission, our priorities, our structure, our workforce, and our technologies are to revolve around the one central paramount premise of preventing the next attack. His pre-9-11 agency had stellar FBI agents deputy directors that all resigned with his coming in. You know what they tell us, right? He was in Boston and then worked at Southern District of New York, and his history is sketchy. I actually want to go back to that if I can find it. Gosh darn it. He, in that clip that I played from Stanford, he himself admitted that he was the U.S. attorney in San Francisco, which is something that is omitted constantly from his bio, and it's actually very important prior to becoming FBI director. And that will be the topic of discussion on Friday because we need to examine what happened in San Francisco while he was U.S. attorney. What happened in San Francisco in Pelosi's stomping ground while he was U.S. attorney because it'll give you even more insight into how this investigator gave colonoscopies to thousands of Americans to prove a hoax that he couldn't prove. Use manufactured data and information that was paid for by his own people to make it look like there was Russia collusion. He spent all our money, every single penny, on investigating false allegations, manufactured information, in, in, in basically to overthrow a duly elected president. Yet he didn't spend a fraction of that money sorting through any of the evidence from the biggest crime scene in global history. Are you getting this? This clown didn't spend a fraction of time, money, and effort he spent on trying to prove Russia collusion on September 11th.
He did not. He's sitting here saying that he is trying to prevent. This is his evidence hearing as to why the FBI suddenly needed to, to become part of the intelligence community. Because it was after 2001 that all these RFPs went out where David Cuthbertson, a very unknown person that is one of the most prominent in the FBI, put out, you know, requests for proposals from private companies to see how they can collect private citizen biometric data for monitoring so they can develop software and systems to have a file on every single American from the day they are born. And September 11th gave them that free pass, that free walk to do so. Listen to what he says. As an example, we have a financial review. The need for change was apparent even before September 11th. It has become more urgent since then. So I cannot understand why the Department of Justice continues to insist on this. Director Mueller has confronted this mounting evidence. And he's candidly admitted what we all now realize, that today we can't say for sure whether the 9-11 attacks might have been stopped if all the dots had been connected and all the leads been followed. And I commend the director for the candor of his recent statements. They and the other uh, recognized international, international. However, in light of recent events and several requests for the OIG to conduct a full review of how intelligence information was handled at the FBI prior to September 11th, including a specific request from Director Mueller, we have agreed to undertake a full investigation of the Phoenix CC, the issues raised by Special Agent Rowley's letter, and the FBI's handling of other intelligence information prior to the September 11th attacks. You did um, the memo to do the inquiry on, on the Phoenix electronic communication. You got that in September. Is that correct? We received the September uh, 29th. I believe it's September 28th we received the, the Phoenix EC from the FBI. And you gave it to the Joint Committee two weeks ago. We gave the results of our preliminary inquiry uh, in, I think, May 22nd, correct? About six months later, more than that. You got that? I understand. So the point uh, that I was trying to make with this is for you guys to understand that pre-9-11, there were reports, and I'm telling you they existed from this, from this amazing man who really had, you know, he had a weird thing when he would chew, like almost chew, like on, on stogies. He would almost like chew on them with his mouth. Great guy, had like this, he smelled good. I, I think what he told me he wore it was Davidoff when I asked because he smelled really good. Uh, not that I was hitting on him, right? Because he was way older than me then. But um, he had information. There are reports that are still classified today and hopefully they are being opened up uh, as we speak and investigated. Um, he had information. This is why he took that position at the World Trade Center. There was information, and the thing is, he didn't know if it was coming from home or if it was coming from abroad. This guy, who knew everything there is to know about Osama bin Laden, and again, I, the point that I'm trying to drive home is, Mueller did not examine the largest crime scene there is. He didn't go through any of the evidence, and even if he says that he did, 
Three weeks is not enough to parse through all that rubble, all that carnage, and to test every single strand of hair you find for residue to determine exactly what happened in 9-11. All they tell us is look at the video. I've seen videos. I mean, we were here talking about how Tulsi Gabbard was on TV talking, and while she was talking, her zit disappeared. And I can tell you personally, the TV showed a plane coming in that would have flown over my head as I was watching. I saw the explosion in the second tower. I saw the explosion. I didn't see the plane fly over my head to hit the tower. Yet looking up at the screen that was there, well, a few minutes after the explosion, with words that flashed across the screen saying live, while the explosion happened, it wasn't on TV. And they knew that. They knew people on the ground weren't watching television and watching the tower. Only some of us were. Some of us that were at a place where they had it in their view, they could see. And were in an area that had multiple televisions, you know, around the room. So many people will say, well, no, no, it was, hey, yeah, could have, would have, but I didn't see it. And unlike other people, I don't agree with what you tell me I saw, I believe my eyes. And comparing to the fact that that plane would have had a fly over my head to hit that tower, according to the TV screen... It would have had to fly over my head to hit that tower, and I didn't see it. But I saw it on your screen almost two minutes after the explosion happened. Many will say, maybe you weren't looking. Maybe. I'm telling you what I saw. And there are many of us in New York that feel the same way, but many of us cannot prove it because maybe we were in panic and didn't look right enough, but I pretty good at math and pretty good, you know, physics is just glorified mathematics, isn't it? Physicists are mathematicians, aren't they? It's really hard to convince me that that plane cut through steel like butter. But at some point, we will find out the truth, right? What happened? Who happened? But with the evidence, some of it being sold to China and others incinerated and disposed of and never cataloged, who knows? But what we do know is that we've had the most corrupt individual handling that investigation. I'll see you all in just a bit after this break. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news.
Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today I thought we could do a 9-11 show because I've never done one because my anniversary of the Tory Says Show on Red State Talk Radio is in November. So I thought I'd give you guys some information that is not widely, widely known and um, a perspective of thought. Regardless if this was uh, um, an operation done in conjunction with terrorists or allowing a terrorist attack to happen to, uh, you know, to ensure that we didn't have a civil war to help excuse the tanking of the economy. Because remember, Bush Jr. took office after Bill Clinton and the Clinton administration was the hottest mess ever at the time of him undergoing impeachment proceedings for raping Monica Lewinsky. I don't care if you think that she was just, you know, his mistress and his inappropriate behavior was impeached, impeachment worthy. I'm telling you it was rape. No woman holds on to a dress with semen, period. So he was undergoing that. We had the corrupt Clintons with having terrorist attacks like nobody's business throughout their administration. Saudi Arabia, our bases, embassies, wars declared. Hmm. This was something that if it was a video game, I would have orchestrated it in order to reset the nation under my terms. Now I'm going to give you a timeline that talks about O'Neill. And I'm going to read it out to you. It was very well written uh, by some individual. On September 10th, O'Neill called Robert Tucker, a friend and security company executive, and arranged to get together that evening to talk about security issues at the Trade Center. Tucker meant met O'Neill in the lobby of the North Tower, and the two men rode the elevator up to O'Neill's new office on the 34th floor. He was incredibly proud of what he was doing. That's what Tucker told this guy. Then they went to the bar at the top of the tower for a drink. Afterward, they headed uptown to Elaine's, where they were joined by their friend Jerry Hauer. Around midnight, the three men dropped in on the China Club, a night spot in Midtown. Love the China Club. John made the statement that he thought something big was about to happen. That's what Howard recalled. Remember, he took this job because he felt his skills, his counter-terror, his files that are endless, his name on every single document Osama bin Laden that exists, and at that time it was spelled Osama bin Laden, right, is everywhere. Valerie James waited up for O'Neill at night. He didn't come until 2.30 a.m. that morning on you know, September 11th, 2.30 a.m. before the attack. He came home. The next morning I was frosty and he came into the bathroom, put his arms around me and I, and he said, oh, forgive me. He offered to drive her to work and dropped her off at 8.13 in the flower district where she had an appointment and headed and he himself headed to the trade center. At 8.46 a.m., American Airlines flight allegedly, allegedly American Airlines flight 11 crashed into the North Tower. John O'Neill Jr., the son, 
was on a train to New York to install some computer equipment and visit his father's new office. From the window of the train, he saw smoke coming from the Trade Center. He immediately called his father on a cell phone. Remember, our cell phones back then were those flippy phones with the extended antennas, right? He said he was okay, and he was on his way out to assess the damage because he was now in charge of security of those buildings. Valerie James, his girlfriend slash wife, arranging her flowers in her office when the phone started ringing off the hook. A second airliner just hit the South Tower. At 9.17, John called her. He said, honey, I want you to know I'm okay. My God, Val, it's terrible. There are body parts everywhere. Are you crying, he asked, and she was. Then he said, Val, I think my employers are dead. I can't lose this job in a bout of humor. They're going to need you more than ever, she told him. At 925, Anna DiBattista, who was driving the Philly on business, received a call from O'Neill. The connection was good at the beginning. He was safe and outside. He said he was okay. I said, are you out of the building? He told me he loved me. I knew he was going to go back in. Wesley Wong, who was an FBI agent and had known O'Neill for more than 20 years, everybody and their mother in the FBI knew O'Neill, by the way, because he was the lead expert on bin Laden. Let's just get this straight. So he, he said he raced over to the North Tower to help set up a command center. John arrived on the scene, said Wong. He asked me if there was any information I could divulge. I knew he was now basically an outsider. One of the questions he asked was, is it true the Pentagon has been hit? I said, gee, John, I don't know. Let me try to find out. At one point, he was on his cell phone and he was having trouble with the reception and started walking away. I said, I'll catch up with you later. Wong last saw O'Neill walking toward the tunnel leading to the second tower. This was the timeline of what happened with O'Neill. Perfect cover if you want to disappear and you found out information. Perfect cover to get rid of you if you knew too much information as well. Is he underground or is he like literally underground? We will never know until we are allowed to know. Many people will say, well, there he is. Okay, if you've seen his body, then, then I guess he was put underground. Judicial Watch had filed a lawsuit against um, NIH, if you guys remember, but also against the FBI, the CDC, and the White House for um, reasons about anthrax going around. And the reason was that they had prior knowledge. And this is down to Jerome Hauer who was the director of the Office of Public Health. You know, the guy that O'Neill met with the day before 9-11 happened. I'm just pointing that out. Many people within the intelligence community know that O'Neill did not trust Mueller 
did not like Mueller and did not like the direction that the FBI was heading into because the lines of the intelligence community were ble- being blurred under the guise of counterterrorism and um, such investigations. That is something you need to understand. Why would the leading guy for Osama bin Laden for the past 20 years, a deputy director, resign because Mueller was being appointed? That is all you need to think about. O'Neill kept complaining about FBI headquarters in D.C., with many, many people, and this is well documented. He also complained of biodefense budgets, not understanding why there was so much money being allocated to it. O'Neill was an integral part for us to know, like, if his stuff was ever declassified, if ever declassified, which it will be, because that New York Post, you know, uh, report was just the beginning. September 4th, Mueller sworn in. September 11th, totally changes the course of history. March 12, 2004, Mueller, now three years into his job, and assist acting Attorney General Comey walked to the west wing of the White House that morning before the Al-Qaeda terrorists Killed 191 people in train bombings in Madrid, if you remember. 2004, March 12th, Al-Qaeda terrorists killed people in Madrid. Let me tell you what happened in December of 2003. In December of 2003, the United States had issued requests from various governments in the European Union to provide access to their intelligence databases that they denied to provide. It was a cold morning in Madrid that day. In, in, in D.C. that day. And both Mueller and Comey, when they went... Um, uh, to the White House to advise Bush of what happened. People needed to understand that this so-called Al-Qaeda train bombing in Madrid again resulted in verifying that it was Al-Qaeda because another passport was found. It's funny how these passports are made of some anti-burning, anti-explosion material. It was at that time that, uh, you know, they expected kickback from the White House because they had already 
overextended their authorities in regards to these, um, and I'm using air quotes and you can't see it, so I'm telling you I am, yellow cake uranium by the Niger River because suddenly Al-Qaeda was in that area of Africa. So Comey and Mueller go to strong arm the White House on how to respond. Do you know, I wanted to tell you that something very important. I had a conversation with someone yesterday where we were talking about the oath of office in regards to something. And I said, you know, it's really funny how some people with on a state level and even federal level believe that they are able to act the way they are if they don't have a valid oath of office filed with their secretary of state or whatever federal, you know, reciprocal federal authority there is. I'm going to tell you something you don't know. Do you know that Robert Mueller never, ever, 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 ever got his formal swearing in as FBI director. When he was sworn in as a U.S. attorney in 1998, right, um, he had um, his swearing in ceremony and, you know, all these U.S. attorneys appeared and applauded him. So just three years after being U.S. attorney in San Francisco, he took over as FBI director. And he had supposedly a tiny ceremony where Attorney General Ashcroft and a few aides and his wife were on September 4th, 2001. The plan was that he would actually have the actual ceremonial swearing in later, which never happens. So it kind of felt rushed, don't you all think? I mean, in what universe is it okay? Yeah, let's just do like a mini supposed ceremony and then later we'll do it because we're in a rush. What were you in a rush for? Was it 9-11? Like what were you rushing for? Supposedly at this supposed occurring ceremony, he raised his hand and said that he's going to support the Constitution and da-da-da-da-da with true faith and allegiance to the United States or whatever. That's what he said. What's funny is, is that he never actually was sworn in properly. To that oath. Like many people would say, well, you know, when he joined the Marine Corps, he swore in and that should be enough. And yeah, you know, I kind of agree. I took my oath when I was 16. I think that should last me, you know, up until whenever. That right? What a beautiful swan Muller is. You know, that's his middle name, right? Swan. Shape-shifting swans, aren't they? Muller. That's the thing, Mueller. And then you have to question yourself. So not only did he not sort through the evidence and he, and, he, and he finished an investigation on the largest crime scene on the planet, 
within three weeks. Almost as impossible as Comey th- skimming through six, or what was it, 600,000, 900,000 Hillary Clinton emails within 24 hours. I mean, in 2016, you could kind of believe it. Software, picking up keywords, you know, whatever, right? So maybe that's doable, passing it through <laughs> computers, a bunch of them with a lot of analysts, maybe. But to comb through all that, that's soot covered, that's, you know, projectiles, all that stuff. I'm just saying. It seems like every single time there is a tragedy. Every single time there is something that has happened in the past 30 years. It's the same damn people that keep popping up. I mean, when looking into the Taliban and the bombings in Kenya and Tanzania, isn't it incredible how all of these people that played a role in the Russia collusion investigations in one way or another seem to lead back to the same clowns, the same ones, aside from the Clintons being in the center of almost everything. We got Mueller and Comey, like they're like this eternal couple, you know, popping up everywhere. There is some direct relationship with all of these. And now, you know, news are coming out slowly, you know, that, oh, you know, he like obfuscated things. You have to ask yourself, why did Mueller obstruct Congress from putting forward a 9-11 probe? Ask yourself that. How did he just assume, yo, those are the hijackers. We found one passport and it's all these guys. Let me tell you something. So you found the Saudi passports and everything, right? Didn't Jeffrey Epstein have a Saudi passport? Means you can make passports that look like Saudi Arabia. Shoot, if I had great printers and the right paper, I could make you passports that look like they come from any country, right? I mean, it's 2019. Back then, it might have been a little bit harder. But with the money Epstein had, he could forge whatever he wanted, right? It's not like we had biometrics in place at the time. It's not like when you would walk through the airport, they could hear your breath at Starbucks before you even go through TSA, where they would scan your device that is open for any possible clues that you might or any phone calls or any funny codes that might be coming through that might, you know, give them the hint that, hey, this person might be up to something dodgy. So back then it was different. So the question is, again, kind of like that blanket, whoop, these Russians, these 13 Russians did it. Where are these Russians? Are we going to see them? Right? Same thing he did with these hijackers. Do they exist? Do they not exist? Oh, we have all this audio. So you got the audio, but you don't have the black boxes. Where are all the black boxes? Those are supposed to be able to survive everything unless it's thermite. So the question is, how did these clowns get in here and why did most of them fly from Boston? I'm just saying. And when they came here, who sponsored them to come into these country, the country? How come Mueller doesn't have that information? He, oh, yeah, you know, one of them like this. Well, how did they get here? All we know is that one of the guys had flown from Germany to go somewhere and then came to the United States. That's all for one of the culprits is alleged. So how did all these people, right, slip in and come in? How did all the reports five years prior, right? This is from the, actually, let's go back to the U.S. Embassy bombings in Kenya, right in Kenya and in Tanzania, where we didn't even investigate who was responsible, 
right? We didn't investigate. Bombings happened August 7th, August 20th. We sent 60 missile strikes to Afghanistan while supposedly Osama bin Laden was, was there, but he already told you that he was in Iran. So where's the investigation on that? So we just start shooting missiles or wherever we want because, oh, there's a training camp there. If we're awake right now, and, and I believe that the American citizens have opened their eyes, no matter how terrifying or upsetting or angry you might be, it is time that we ask these questions and push on these questions. Obviously, now, Mueller's card is that he's senile. He's totally senile. He's not going to remember. But why not show us the documentation that O'Neill put forward? Why not make his resignation public? It's incredible how all of this happened and how everyone targeted the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, who were very rich at the time, had extreme power over the oil industry and monopolized it. And this is why we were intervening in the Middle East, because they were a problem for the agenda of this new world order on how they would grab the Middle East. Because if you controlled it, you controlled the direction of nations as a whole on the planet, at least for the next 50 years. Uh, so, again, why is it that he blocked the investigation? Why didn't uh, New York law enforcement, New York fire department, why weren't they allowed to analyze the scene? Why was it all handed over to the FBI and why did they just dispose of it? I mean, think about it. Why were we reselling steel? And how did steel buildings fall down? They don't fall or burn. So why did we decide that we needed to topple them completely and remove the rubbish in like a heartbeat? Because that area was cleaned out super quick. Super quick. Like on the day there was tons of soot everywhere. Garbage, debris everywhere. The next day, there was less soot, less debris. Some cars started moving and we had traffic lights on. So the, you know, the question is, why was it cleaned up so fast? Why didn't we have all this evidence? It was the huge, the most large crime scene. Why were we selling evidence? That's the thing. It's evidence. There are evidence boxes right now sitting in police departments with DNA of some killer on some chick, yet we don't have any DNA or any explosive residue from 9-11 in any box anywhere, except if there's some very good Samaritan that has kept it as a souvenir. I mean, that is something, you know, to question. So what, what have we understood as the public has been, you know, constantly saying the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, right, and pushing and pushing and pushing. People want um, to see redacted areas of the congressional inquiry into the intelligence community's activities before the terrorist attack, right? And that attempt that, you know, where people were suing and asking for this um, was kind of successful, right? But there is so much that the U.S. government has kept from the people, from the people that have lost their lives, from the people, tens of thousands of people still today that are suffering from cancer because that are directly, you know, obviously related to the explosions. 
Did you know that two years before the airlines supposedly flew into these buildings that the Saudi embassy had paid two Saudis to live in the U.S. as students and, um, fly, you know, do dry runs on flights? Did you know that? It literally says it in there. It says in the, in the complaint that was filed on behalf of some families, of four, 1,400 people that had died so many years ago, it is actually stated. So the, the question is, did the Saudis actually pay for that? Or was it Osama bin Laden before his bank accounts were frozen that paid for it? Because let me tell you something. Osama was really salty against the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They ousted him. They denied his citizenship. And they shut down his bank accounts. This guy that used to have golden toilets was living in caves. And on handouts from people like the Qatari sheikhs and Turkey. And at the mercy of Iran for cover. And Sudan. And all these other little nations that were funding him. So think, could this money have been put aside and sent them in? And it's blanket statement Saudis and not their asset, Osama bin Laden. That's a question that we should be asking. We need to get these things unredacted. It's almost 20 years. I mean, most of the people that investigated this are already dead, aren't they? Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. Today is the 9-11 show that I've never done. And over the break, I actually ran into a message, and I don't usually click on all of them because I get a lot, but I saw a message that was on point. Uh, one of my uh, my listeners, Alex, said, you're right. I didn't see any non-burnable materials like being hauled away like toilets. Think of how many offices were there, guys. There must have been hundreds upon hundreds of toilets, sinks, things that don't burn. Where are they? Where are all the items, you know, from 9-11 that should have been there? It, they're in a dump because nobody cataloged anything. And no matter how much you would love to say, oh, you know, it's Rudy Giuliani and he tried to in the 2008 campaign, jump up, man, that guy did a stellar job with what he had. Anyone that's in law enforcement or, you know, as a firefighter know that if it's something of national security and the feds come in, you got diddly squat. You may get briefed if they believe you should know. That is exactly what happened to man. He did a stellar job. Nobody ever say that he did. He did as much as he could as mayor with his hands tied behind his back. And he probably learned things from his own people. This is why you see the Rudy you see today. Because they weren't going to tell him. Firefighters will tell you that over one and a half million tons of debris were hauled away, right? And the steel that should have been cataloged, should have been itemized, should have been, was sold to Baal Steel, a Chinese firm, at discount. <laughs> and after we sold all that steel, right, what did we do? We shut down our steel mills and we bought their crappy steel, right? So I just wanted to say that Evidence was being destroyed as it was being shipped out. Like they were destroying, they were crushing things in these dump trucks rather than saving them. Parts of people, hair clips, phones, wallets, anything. You know, people who, oh, we went through the debris. Look at these conveyor belts. Yeah, the stuff that they knew, they didn't care if they landed. But even if you look at the conveyor belts... Those little videos, what they want to show you, because remember, the mainstream media, the government before Trump, because now under Trump administration, he likes transparency. He likes to pull pants down and let the people see what's going on or else he wouldn't be supporting people like Judicial Watch. Yeah, you might say, oh, he's doing it because Judicial Watch is on his end. But the bottom line is, is that... mm, It's pretty, uh, let's just say we like transparency. So on that note, for all of you, those of you that are remembering 9-11, those of you like myself, where it's your home, that was my home. 
that was attacked like that, it's violating, right? To think, I mean, right now I'm sitting in my little studio. Who knows? A plane can drop into, you know, on my house. The possibility of it happening slim to none, but it can. Just like another attack can happen now in another building. Another person can hear the wrong sound or be triggered by the wrong thing and shoot up a school, uh, anything that hap- that it'll always happen. And, and terror, if people learn to embrace terror, because there are a few things that terrify us in life, I don't know, spiders or, you know, slimy creatures or losing control of something, anything, right? Terror releases specific hormones in our body. And children release very specific ones that are highly, that, that, that only if you oxidize, if you actually can oxidize ep, um, norepinephrine, you get something called um, adrenochrome, which is naturally created in children when they're terrified. Have you ever like watched, you know, movies where they tell you, oh, you know, these evil beings they um, thrive on your terror because they smell the fear. There's, there's, there's some basis on that, okay? Terror is the biggest motivator. You might say, oh, love can make you do stupid things. Terror will make you do even stupider things. Terror, while you're terrified and when you're violated and terrified, And when there's mistrust and you're terrified and when there's uncertainty and you're terrified and when you see people falling off buildings and feet scattered everywhere, terrified, you do the stupidest things like, sure, you can spy on me and sure, you can have a whole file on me because I'm not worried about anything. I'm a good person, so I don't have anything to worry about. So I don't care if the government spies on me. That's not the point, but okay. I want you guys to know that, okay, so Rudy Giuliani tweeted out, we will never forget 9-11. It was the worst attack on our nation since the war of 1812. Very important. It was the greatest display of domestic bravery in anyone's memory. Yes, it was. From the citizens of New York to the firemen to the policemen that were kept in the dark and all they did was try to help. The enemy attacking us that day is still killing Americans. We honor all those who have kept us safe. Every single person that has kept us safe, we should honor. You know, one thing that I've trained my children to do, um, and, uh, you know, you'd be like, what are they, your pets? No, I tell them. Every time you see someone in uniform, you say thank you for your service. Every single time, no matter how redundant it is. When you see them in uniform or you know that they have served, um, tell them. Because I don't think we tell people enough. And, you know, people will be like, you know, that I know will be like, thank you. Okay. Yeah, no big deal. But it feels good. You know, when people tell them thank you. When you say thank you to the police officer, like I could I could sit there, say say someone pulls me over for a ticket and I could be really upset that I'll get a ticket. And I haven't gotten a ticket in forever. Knock on wood, I don't get any. But anyway, um, I can be really, really upset. But at the end, I will turn around and say, well, thank you. Please keep yourself safe. Because they are doing us the duty of keeping our streets safe. No matter you like them, you don't. They gave you a ticket. They didn't. 
please honor those first responders. Please honor those that serve us always. Now, on that note, on his, on this tweet, I, I kid you not, a person literally re- responded to Giuliani saying, it's the second worst attack, Putin's attack on the 2016, uh, second worst attack, Putin's attack on the 2016 election. So this clown equated, to, and their, and their, Twitter handle is at dog lover with two R's nine equated the loss of life to the election. But you know, one thing's for sure. The same person responsible for covering up, obstructing, destroying evidence and being very wishy washy on what happened at nine 11 was Mueller. Just like he was the same person that obstructed, destroyed, and, you know, wishy-washy on what started and why this Russia collusion ever happened. Just saying. So on that note, um, I thought I, I thought this would be a great way to give you guys information that may not be coming in through other channels ever. A lot of people are worried about being coined, you know, tinfoil hat theorists. Guys, the term conspiracy theory was created and created to be such to have this um, uh, feeling of embarrassment when it comes up behind it uh, for that purpose to shut you up. Kind of like in the... in you know, before it used to be, oh, you're such a nerd. And it was bad. And all you thought of were the nerds on Porky's, um, you know, which I saw when I was older. Okay. I didn't, you know, and I was thinking, oh my God, was this really a hit? It was kind of funny, but you know, nerds, right now it's cool to be a nerd. So things change because right now in 2019, in 2019 and 2018, Alex Jones is Walter Cronkite. Everything he said is on point on the money for 20 years what he's been saying has been proven true so how's that for conspiracy theory now let's move um just to kind of touch base on what's going on uh first of all we had a cargo plane that busted into flames uh late last night in toledo uh there's two people that were on board um i found that curious that the plane went down on september on September 11th um, and burst into flames. It, um, let me let me play this 30-second clip from CBS talking Following about it. breaking news from Ohio at this hour where a cargo plane crashed and burst into flames overnight on approach to Toledo Express Airport. A spokeswoman for the airport says initial reports indicate that two people were on board at the time. Their conditions are still not known. Police say the plane appears to have slammed into a multiple park semi-trucks, setting off, as you see, a very large fire. Crews at the scene were looking for victims in the wreckage. Officials say the plane may have been carrying auto parts. Hmm. Interesting. So we don't know if that's a just happened or just happened, happened. Now, um, I wanted to... Um, play a clip from uh, Tucker Carlson in regards to John Bolton. And remember, I've told you that John Bolton was leaving. I told you that he needed to go. And I've told you how terrifying he is, right? Because he's a meat cleaver. Take a listen to what Tucker had to say. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. National Security Advisor John Bolton got fired this morning, as you no doubt have heard. It's a major personnel change, but it's more than that. It is great news for America, especially for the large number of young people who would have been killed in pointless wars if Bolton had stayed on the job. They may not be celebrating tonight, but they should be. 
International oil prices, by the way, on the international market dropped immediately on the news. Investors knew for certain that Bolton planned on launching yet another Middle Eastern conflict that would inevitably spike energy prices. No doubt some energy speculators were disappointed to see Bolton go. Certainly many people in Washington were disappointed. Senator Chris Murphy, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, progressive one at that, tweeted that he was, quote, legitimately shaken to see John Bolton leave the White House. Samantha Power, you remember her, she's the Obama official, primarily responsible, among other things, for the historically catastrophic destruction of Libya, the move that flooded Europe with refugees. That official, Samantha Power, told reporters today that the firing was a very troubling sign. Wait, before we continue, let's just say y'all know that I don't like John Bolton. I've told you that he's the only person that terrifies me. I would say he smells like mothballs, but I don't think he does. I think he smells like baby powder, like that weird OCD baby powder. But speaking of Samantha Powers, speaking of the UN, speaking of the Security Council, speaking of State Department, you know who we need to talk about, and I'm doing a very deep dive on, is Brian Hook. I hate him. I loathe him. He is so disrespectful, and he is so pompous. He's the type of person that will look at his fork at a restaurant and polish it just before he uses it and he probably separates his food and doesn't like to mix it that guy is a big problem the fact that he's in the state department is a big problem the fact that nobody talks about the private uh consulting firms that he had from the bush administration until he was back into government with trump is a big deal okay i just wanted to put that little earwig in you believe it or not a number of republicans made similar noises Senator Mitt Romney himself declared that he was, quote, very, very unhappy that Bolton was leaving. Well, if he's unhappy, then we need to be double, double happy. So if he's very, very unhappy, we should be very, very happy. Look at the people that are upset that Bolton is gone tells you why he should have been gone. Romney went on to describe the outgoing national security advisor as, quote, a brilliant man with decades of experience in foreign policy. Oh, and by the way, did you know that Brian Hook actually worked on um, Romney's campaign? I just thought I'd mention that, you know, Brian Hook, that they're like, oh, he's going to like replace him. No, he's not. It's going to be the colonel, probably. Romney didn't say much about this experience. He wasn't specific about it. Why? Probably because none of Bolton's experience in the end helped America. Romney's right. Bolton has, in fact, been on the scene for decades. All of us are suffering the consequences of it. But whatever. Details like that make no difference at all in Washington. In Washington, nobody cares what kind of job you did, only that you did the job. Nobody there learns from mistakes because mistakes are never even acknowledged, ever. John Bolton himself took this form of selective amnesia to an art form. Watch him perform it on this show. So you've, you've called for regime change in Iraq, Libya, Iran, and Syria. In the first two countries, we've had regime change, and obviously it's been, I'd say, a disaster. I think we no, agree. No, okay. I, I don't agree with that. And, and let, me, let me. You don't think it's been a disaster? No. I think you need to understand yeah. is that life is complicated in the Middle East. And when you say. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. For all of you that, you know, do YouTube, find the Tucker John Bolton refuses to acknowledge mistakes. Go to this specific minute, which is two minutes and 20 seconds, and watch John Bolton respond. What you need to understand, that is, I mean, looking at that face and the face that I've seen up close and impersonal like that, 
terrifies you because that is where you see the real face of Bolton. Say, well, the overthrow of Saddam Hussein was a mistake. Totally was. Is simplistic. I, I would argue that I'm the one who understands how complicated it is, but just my view. It's, it's your long experience in foreign policy. Know. <laughs> how condescending. Yours, I would say. I actually have experience in foreign policy, and here he was. Oh, yeah, it's your experience in foreign policy. Man, all you know how to do is go in, chop heads off, and remove people and install people you can control, you know? But, you know, John Bolton's um, front men, they weren't henchmen. They were Goldman Sachs employees. That's the way it always goes. And <laughs> you know who else does that? The European Union. Did you catch that? Rather than justify or even explain his own record, Bolton instead brags that he spent a lot of time on the job. If you're wondering why so many progressives are mourning Bolton's firing tonight, it's because Bolton himself fundamentally was a man of the left. There was not a human problem John Bolton wasn't totally convinced could be solved with the brute force of government. That's an assumption of the left, not the right. Don't let the mustache fool you. John Bolton was one of the most progressive people in the Trump administration. And by the way, naturally, once he was ensconced there, Bolton promoted Obama loyalists within the National Security Council. That shouldn't surprise you either. From the very first day, John Bolton operated as, in effect, a fifth column within the Trump White House. We warned about him frequently on this show. When the president calls for peace with a heavily armed nuclear power, that is considered treason. But when the national security advisor calls for yet another pointless war, that's just elite consensus. And it's fine. A lifelong neocon Bolton repeatedly has called for toppling the Iranian government again and again, though tellingly he's never suggested what might replace the Iranian government once it's toppled. To this day, Max Boot takes a paycheck from the Washington Post. Bill Kristol appears on MSNBC. John Bolton is this country's national security advisor. There were no consequences to their foolishness and their dishonesty. None. Yes, Mr. President, John Bolton does want to get you into a war. It's all he wants. It's what he dreams about many wars, if possible. And if you're not careful, he'll do it. In between administration jobs are always cushy think tank posts, paid speaking gigs, cable news contracts. War may be a disaster for America, but for John Bolton and his fellow neocons, it is always good business. We invited John Bolton on the show tonight. He did not respond to the invitation, which is a shame, but he's always welcome here. That's a sincere invitation. But in some ways, the story isn't simply about John Bolton. It's about the countless John Boltons who currently staff the federal bureaucracy. Deeply mediocre lifers, drunk on hubris, protected by bulletproof job security. They're more likely to die on the job than be fired, and they know it. As a group, these people have done an awful lot to make this country poorer and sadder and more divided. The actual John Bolton is gone, likely forever. The question tonight is, will he be replaced by another John Bolton just like him? And unfortunately, there are signs that that's possible. And in fact, in Washington, it's always possible. Change is not always for the better. Don't lie to yourself. Apparently on the short list tonight to replace Bolton is the president's special representative for Iran, Brian Hook. Hook may be a good person. He's also an unapologetic neocon. Sources say he has undisguised contempt for Donald Trump, as John Bolton did. And he particularly dislikes the president's nationalist foreign policy, which is one of the reasons people voted for Donald Trump in 2016. One administration official recalls Hook announcing that, quote, I think the president is reckless and doesn't understand policy. 
Another source heard him directly say something very similar to foreign officials at a conference abroad. A choice like that, and Hook, by the way, is not the only one, not even close. A choice like that is really no choice at all. It's more John Bolton with the same predictable, disastrous results. At least Mitt Romney and the energy speculators will be happy, but the country won't be served. I'm going to tell you something about Brian Hook. He wasn't appointed by Bolton. He was appointed by Rex Tillerson. Rex Tillerson is out because he was a clown. So what we need to just remember, and tomorrow we'll talk a lot about this, is um, how come when Rex Tillerson was fired, we didn't fire every single person he placed in the State Department to, is a question. Because... If I'm President Trump and I've hired General Mattis and I fired him because he's a clown, or if I fired Coates because he's a clown, you better believe any person that he's put, even if it's a janitor, that he recommended or he placed or he appointed, they're fired too. Done. Let's move along to just a few breaking news. So uh, a couple months ago, I we were talking about how it was possible that Erdogan was dead. And this whole he's not dead anymore came up, uh, you know, uh, with videos of him with um, BJ Habibi. Right. He's the Indonesian president that was like a thousand years old that visited him in Turkey. Well, guess what? He was eight. Indonesia's former president, B.J. Habibi, has died. He was 83 years old. Habibi died at the Army Hospital in Jakarta. He'd been in intensive care for heart problems since September the 1st. B.J. Habibi was Indonesia's first pres third president, rather, succeeding Suharto. He was only briefly in office from 1998 to 1999, but he is best known for steering Indonesia's economy during the Asian financial crisis. During his presidency, Habibi also ordered a referendum on East Timor's independence. Mr. Habibi once described Singapore as a little red dot, a term many Singaporeans have since embraced. Yeah, you know, and he's also Muslim Brotherhood, and he suddenly, from September 1st, was in hospital with heart issues. He's 83, whatever, you know. Now, I just wanted to point that out kind of in the middle between the John Bolton stuff, only because it's important that you understand these death, these changes, these regime changes are very important. Listen to what is happening with Brexit. We talked about Brexit yesterday, but listen to what Keir Starmer says the prime minister should do. A powerful judgment, um, and it is incredible in one sense that the judges have um, gone into this space, used the language they have, saying that essentially the Prime Minister, his real motive was to frustrate the process and to shut down Parliament. I I, across the country, I don't think many people actually believed the Prime Minister when he said this is just for a Queen's speech. But for a court to say that the documents really point one way and that they undermine his case to a point where they've ruled him unlawful, that's an incredibly powerful thing for them to have done. Um, Joanna Cherry and the others lost at first, I think, in the High Court in yeah. Scotland. This was the appeal. And, of course, the government's now going to appeal to the Supreme Court in London. Um, you're a former DPP. You know about these things. What are you expecting in the Supreme Court? Well, well, the Supreme Court will come to its own decision. But don't underestimate this. I mean, courts are quite used to saying that government's acted unlawfully because they've misinterpreted the law or something like that. That's not unusual. But to say that the motive or the reason the Prime Minister's put forward 
uh, was not the true reason. That is very powerful and very unusual for a court. I don't think they would have done it without overwhelming evidence. And I actually think that the right thing for the Prime Minister now is to recall Parliament this afternoon or tomorrow morning so that we can get back, do our job, and look at the judgment as a Parliament and decide what ought to happen next. Can he do It's a very powerful... So what can he do next, you guys? The European Union has been clear. You hand over Ireland, you can go. You don't hand over Ireland, you're not going anywhere. And the Queen made sure that you can't leave with no deal. You're not allowed to do all this. So bottom line is, you either fall in line and figure out how you can make sure that they don't take Ireland. Or you stay within the EU. That Queen, that Remainer. I mean, they need those tech companies. You can't. You can't do this. The EU doesn't want this split. They don't want to have non-responsibility. Oh, man. Guys, it is it is so incredible. Like, think about it. Think about it. Let's pretend that we, this U.S.-Mexican-Canadian agreement, we wanted to break out of it, and Mexico says, okay, that's fine, but you're going to give us Washington, D.C. <laughs> if you want to break the agreement. How would you respond to that? Here we have people of England saying, sure, everybody should be part of the European Union. Let's just give our whole country over to the Germans because, you know, the Germans have a stellar track record of taking over governments and doing what they want, right? (laughs) On that note, guys, take a moment and think about thousands and thousands of people that died and hopefully soon... Whatever the reason, whoever orchestrated it, the bottom line is they are, I would like to think, in a better place and their deaths will not be in vain. On that note, from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio, I wish you a great evening and God bless. See you here tomorrow, same time, same place, 12 to 2 Eastern, only on Red State Talk Radio. Town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in DC, but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there.